Thanks for joining us today on the Centerpoint podcast coming from the Loft on Main in Danville, Kentucky. For more information, check us out at centerpointdanville.com. And so for the past month, we have been definitely in this sermon series called Relational Vampires, and it's been fun to talk about. It's kind of sad. It seems like it just got started. Um, but we, we've called it Relational Vampires simply because, you know, those, those people that suck the life out of us, that just, they're are hard to love on, right? They're just very challenging to love on anyways. And we talked about in the, in the early goings, uh, those who like to control things and, and those who are very being very critical in week, week two. And, and then last week we talked about uh, those who are, are always needy, those who are always needy. And so when we did that, we looked into that, that idea of, of, of who and where around us that just literally suck the living life out of you, right? But today, but today, we're going to talk about something just a little bit different, and we're going to talk about those who are literally are hypocrites. Now, no one's cheering. No one's jumping up and down. I knew that was going to happen, but we're going to dive into that idea simply because I know it's huge. But before we get there, I just want to give you a minute and give you a quick peek of where we're headed next week because I believe next week is a huge moment for us as a family uh, and, and, and as a group of people, especially in the culture that we live in where we call home. Um, and if you show up next week, here's the promise I'm going to make for you. If you show up next week, I promise I'm going to give everybody one thing. I'm going to give you an extra hour of sleep. I do my best, man. I do my best. I'm going to give you that extra hour so there's no excuses. Like, I, I, you know, I just I woke up. No, 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 come on. It's, you know, just you forgot to set the clock back. Don't forget to set the clock back. If you forget to set the clock back, come on, come on. It's, it's still good. You're still early. All right, so you're good to go. But I promise it's going to be fun. There's no excuses for you. Um, but next week, we're going to begin something new, brand new, and something that will hopefully be very encouraging to you. And, and there's no better time than connecting and beginning a talk about some big idea, especially this big idea of miracles. And miracles, do you believe in them, right? Do you believe in miracles? Now, if you watched the game last night, some of you are like, yes, I do. You know, I, I don't even understand that, right? Uh, but for some people, it, it, and I, I don't want to chase a rabbit here, but like, isn't that like the whole, the gospel in essence right there? If you watch that game, you understand because you already know the outcome in some ways, some portion. I mean, if you go back and watch it, but you know the outcome they want, right? But sometimes we live the life like we're, playing that fourth down over and over again. We're, we're afraid of the worldly ways. We're afraid of everything else. But I'm telling you, they won last night, and that's a miracle. And so, therefore, we have a miracle in Jesus Christ because he already won, and he already promised us what's going to happen when he comes back. We're going to win. And I know it look, may look gloomy, that's not even a word, gloomy and doomy and everything else, but I'm telling you, we're going to win. And if that doesn't get you excited, I don't know what does. I mean, it's going to be fun. It's going to be exciting, just like you were celebrating last night when you jumped off that couch and spilled your popcorn, you know, whatever it was. it was. It was an amazing moment. That's exactly what it's going to feel like when he comes back to rescue everybody and say, it's finished. Come on, let's party. Now then, now then, chalk it up, though. Uh, if, chalk it up to co- coincidence or luck or, or whatever you think miracles are. But, but if we think there's something bigger going on with, when the impossible happens, over the next month, we're going to look at this series, this Do You Believe in Miracles? And we're going to really focus in on centering on wondering the wonder and the joy of miracles. And we're going to call it, we're going to call it When Pigs Fly, right? 
I know it sounds funny, but it just is what it is. Crazy, I know. But it's, but it's all about appreciating the, the fantastic, crazy, outlandish miracles that, that really did happen in Jesus' time and opening our eyes to miraculous work that Jesus still does. Do you believe in miracles? You see, we're getting ready to dive into a season where miracles are happening all around us because our eyes are more attentive. But the, are your hearts ready to receive them? And so as we start to love loud now in big, huge ways, do you believe in miracles? I hope so. And I hope you'll be back next week because we're going to dive into it for the next four weeks and we're going to see what God does. You're going to hear some amazing stories and you're going to see where God is still moving and creating miracles daily. And so there's my pitch. There's my big sell pitch. If you want to know, it's nothing, nothing crazy big. I just, I believe God's going to do some crazy, amazing miracles in your life. But we got to be connected to one another and him. And so I encourage you to come back. But for today, to close out this series, uh, we're going to talk about how to love those people that suck the life out of you, especially those who are hypocrites. And that, that word alone just sort of gets under us. And, you know, it, it gets our attention, right? It get, gets inside of our, our crawl. And it, and it should because that's what most people think of the church and those who attend because of the way we say we do things, but we act a different way. It's like, you know, you go to church and you act one way, but then Monday through Saturday, you live a different lifestyle, right? Have you ever wondered where, did that, where does the word hypocrite come from in the first place? My mind began to wonder, and a long time ago, back during the early days of stage theater, what the word hoop Ocrates, hoop Ocrates means, it's, it's a stage actor that wears a mask similar to this. It's a stage mask. And, and, and it does one thing, but portrays or acts totally different. And this Greek word that we use today, hypocrite, actually comes from that type of mentality. It comes from that type of stage presence. Some of you are actually looking at your neighbor right now and thinking, uh, dirty thoughts. I mean, yeah, I can see it on your faces. And it's one of those things where you've got the definition wrong. It's my next door neighbor, right? Or it's my boss. Or it's him. It's her. And maybe it's you. Maybe it's you that's got the, the it's all nice and neat and it looks pretty. But in truth and reality, it's, it's a mask that you're hiding behind and you're the hypocrite. Now that I've got your attention, what I want to do, though, for the next little bit, the rest of our time remaining, is I want to understand how do we become restored or how do we help those people along our lives that are hypocrites? How do we help love them and restore them back to where Jesus wants them? Back in his arms to remove everything, all the blemishes. You see, our, our goal is not to be right. I think that's what a lot of Christians think. They think it's their job to be right all the time. And I think that makes us a little bit more hypocritical if you want to know the truth. And as well, because our actions sometimes don't align to that. Especially when our hearts are not centering. It's just an action. And sometimes what's the truth say in the word? It says actions speak louder than it's interesting. You see, our goal should be this. Our goal should be to help someone else to be right with God. And if that doesn't, 
you don't understand that fully. Maybe we need to, to break it down a little bit further and, and have a, a, a spiritual conversation in a way so you can understand what restore really means. And if we can all agree to that statement, though, to help someone else to be right with God is more important than to be right, then we're on the right page this morning. And if we can agree to that, then, then, then when we restore a person to God, we bring them back to, or put them back on track or to, into a former or an original state of mind, which God intended it to look like in the first place, is with him. And we just got off track because of worldly ways. And then we begin to hide behind a mask, but openly say we worship him. But there is one question, and we all need to ask, is, is why? Why would they or why do we hide behind a mask and become a hypocritical or hypocrite person in the first place? And I think a lot of times we wonder why they would do such a thing, but maybe we should understand or at least consider this right here. Maybe they really don't know God in the first place. Maybe they just grew up in church and they just did all the motions, right? Maybe they just, they understand the principle of church, but they don't really know God. I, I talk to a lot of people and one of the things that, I, that I, I, I hear, one of the things I hear the most is I hear people talking about church, but I don't hear them talking about Jesus. And there's a big difference between the church and Jesus, and I hear all these stories and I hear them talk about where they go to church and where they did this and where they did that. But I don't hear anything about the person who saved them, the person who in introduced salvation in a way that radically changed their life. I hear about what the church does, but I didn't hear much about what Jesus is doing. There's a big difference in the two. And it says in scripture in 1 John 2, 4, it says, whoever says I know him but does not do what he commands is a liar and the truth is not in that person. You see, a lot of people allow the truth just to filter through them and they don't act on it. They hear it sermon from sermon, Caleb, Erwan, they allow it to, even you version Bible apps, they allow it just to flow through them but they don't really understand who God is. And, and maybe, maybe this next idea, maybe they don't know better yet. Now, there's some baby Christians, right? There's some baby Christians out there in the world, and, and I understand that. But, you know, it says in 1 Corinthians 3, 1, it says, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, merely infants in Christ. Maybe they're babes in Christ and we judge them and we say they're hypocritical, but they just don't understand yet. They don't, they don't know better yet. They don't need correcting. They need instructing. There's a big difference between the two. We as a church sometimes condemn and then they just walk away. You see, I can't get mad at my kids for doing what they think is right if I never instruct them on how to mop the floors or how to sweep or how to do this, or how to do that, or for some of our kids, how to put your clothes on. Underwear first. Not saying which one. But now after all that, well, it, it, you know, after I instruct them, and after I help them, after I go through it week in, week out, you know, it's all like Donkey Kong at that moment if they don't do what I say. You know, if they don't understand, maybe that's a controlling issue, maybe I need to go back up a couple of weeks. But it's one of those moments of clarity. Seriously, think about it. Most people are still infants in Christ who need a biblical worldview because they are living in a worldview that's completely messed up and we judge them. 
Because the only thing they've ever known is a worldview, not a biblical worldview. And maybe, and maybe they know better, but they still disobey God. Maybe they know better, but they still disobey God. And, and, and it says in 1 Peter 2.16, it says, For you are free, yet you are God's slaves, so don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Or let me say it this way, do what you want. See, maybe you say looking at porn is okay. It's not hurting anybody. Maybe you lie about your taxes. It's not hurting anybody. Cheating on your spouse, getting drunk every single night, it's not hurting anybody. You're actually disobeying God by your actions, and it breaks the heart of God. So how do we love people who drain us, who we know they're living a hypocritical lifestyle by being that hypocrite in our culture? I think our prayer together today should be this, the following two things if you're taking notes. The first thing is this, God, help me confront, help me confront with a goal of restoration and do so carefully. A, a goal of, of, of confrontation, some people don't like confrontation, but the goal of conf confrontation with restoration in mind and do so carefully. The Apostle Paul talks about it in, in the letter in the, in the Bible called Galatians. In, in the book, uh, in chapter 6, he actually says this. It actually says it this way for us to understand even today. And it says in Galatians 6.1, it says, Brothers and sisters uh, of central Kentucky. And that's not in my passage, but it's, it, that's the way I mind. my mind wanders. It says, For us in the gathered who the law, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should, what's that word? Say it with me. Restore. It doesn't say point out, beat them up. It says restore that person what? Gently. Restore that person gently. It doesn't say go point out the, the facts, the truth, and just hammer them down because it, it could just completely drain them and it could pull them away from God. It says restore them gently. And then it says, but, I love it, watch yourself, watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. You see, restore that person gently. Remember this, we've talked about this before. Truth plus grace equals what? Love. And when we love like Jesus, we do with truth and grace. And just because it need, you know, it's true doesn't mean it needs to be said. You can start to walk with that person and love them in a way that points back to love. Anything else that we do is really, it's us, not Jesus. You see, actually, it's, 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 it's us telling our opinion, which gets us some trouble in the first place. You see, the, the catch in this verse, if you want to know the truth, is, 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 is those who live by the Spirit. I mean, come on, Spirit, what? Love, what? Joy? Peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Yes, yeah, somebody knows the Bible, right? The fruits of the Spirit, right? Self-control, the big one, right? If you're not living by these fruits, then how in the world are you even talking about them? And see, he's going after it. He's talking to us who are following Jesus, who are living by the Spirit, which means we know and we are following Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. 
And it says when we do this, when we do that, then we have the authority to restore. Otherwise, we, we are actually being a hypocrite ourselves, and that's hard to swallow because a lot, a lot of people, a lot of good church people who would struggle with that sentence, like, I'm not a hypocrite. But if you're not following the fruits and living by the Spirit, Galatians 5.25, we're, we're going to keep in step with the Spirit. May we, may we just flood with it. May we just walk with it. May we run with it. Some of you sitting on it, not moving with it, not dancing with it, not feeling it. And I wonder why. You see, that's why Paul finishes his verse off with a, with a powerful statement. And he says, watch yourself. Watch yourself. Be careful. You see, we need to focus on restoration, but we also need to be, be careful. We need to watch ourselves. And when we have to be careful, otherwise we're going to fall into temptation as well. And Jesus actually addresses this book in the book of Matthew by saying, outwardly, outwardly, you look like righteous people. You put on the mask. You wear it proudly. But inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. You're not following the spirit at all. You're following yourself. It's in Matthew 23, 28. And you put on a mask. You wear it proudly. Week in and week out, you wear it. And sometimes it costs you greatly. And you don't care. You see, over time, what I've learned is this. And this is a tough pill to swallow this morning, but it's the truth. And I do know what the Bible says about the truth. The truth will what? It set you free. If you're writing anything down, write this one down. What I've learned is this. Whenever, whenever you're the most condemning about a subject, or it's, it's actually often a reflection of what you're the most vulnerable about. When you're the most condemning about that topic or that area or whatever it is, it's a reflection of where you're the most vulnerable or what you're actually guilty of. And I know a lot of people who condemn certain things, and I'm not going to talk about those type of sins. I'm just going to say it in general. Sin. When, when you get caught up in it, that's what you actually are most vulnerable about, and you're condemning it from one side, but you're living it over here. And for the church world, you wonder why a lot of people from the outside look at us and call us that? It's because we're the most vulnerable in that area. And we just speak like a loud, resounding gong or a big, huge broadcast system. And then we're just trying to point out everybody else's faults. But we are so insecure inside because we're doing it. Number two, and this is leading to that point. Number two is, God, help me see when I'm the hypocrite. God, please allow me to see when I'm the hypocrite. In the Bible, there's a story of King David. Now, King David did some amazing things, but there is one lesson we can learn from today that he did that fits completely. You see, David committed adultery, and, and, and with a woman, he, he was named Bathsheba. And, and, and then if that was not bad enough, he, he, he actually, being the king, he, he murdered Uriah, which was the husband of Bathsheba and a bunch of soldiers to go with it to cover it all up. And it was a huge issue in that day and time. But since he's the king, he sort of got away with it. 
And he thought that he'd gotten completely away with it and he was moving on and he was you know, leading with, with his own right and, and everything that he had in his power. And I, I don't know if you ever felt this way of how you choose to lead from day to day, but, but sometimes we can't see the hypocrite inside of us. But others around us do. And they point it out. And sometimes they do it with truth and grace. And sometimes they don't. But when they do, it, it changes our hearts. And, and, and I, I want to say it this way, especially for those who are following by the Spirit, is I want you to, I want you to know this. When you see somebody, and you, and you do try to encourage, and you do try to confront, just remember this. We, we can't fix it, but Christ can. I want you to go in with knowing that you have the power of the Holy Spirit with you and you're praying and you're, you're prayed up, ready to go. Don't just attack it by yourself. You attack it with Christ. And that's exactly what Nathan did here. The, and it's an amazing story how this unfolds, but, but here's an interesting thought process that James, the brother of Jesus, said that sort of fits this, this area that I want to dive in here for a couple minutes. And in verse 19, of James chapter 5, it says this, if one of you should wander from the truth or and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover up a multitude of sins. Now, there was a guy and his name was Nathan. I mentioned him earlier. Nathan was a prophet and he was actually his best, David's best friend. And he knew the truth, and he decided to confront him by gently restoring him with truth and grace through love. And by telling him a story about a rich man who, who, who stole a sheep away from a poor man. And the poor man had one sheep, and, and, and the, the rich man had many sheep. And then the poor man, you know, the kids played with the sheep, and they took care of the sheep, and they loved the sheep, and they, they just, they, it was their pet. But the rich man had thousands of sheep. It sort of goes like this, the rest of the story. The rich man had a guest who was hungry, and, and instead of killing one of his thousands of sheep, guess which sheep he chose to go kill? He summoned the poor man, and he stole the poor man's sheep, and he took it away, and they, they, they fed their guests with that. And Nathan's telling David all this, and David all of a sudden just has angst inside of him. And it says in in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 5, it says, David burned with anger against that man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times because he did such a, a thing and he had no pity. And then Nathan said to David, with truth, and grace to David, you are that man. You are that man. Immediately, David just sees it, understands it, and with love, he became restored. But as I'm reading that this week, and as I'm starting to dive into this, this context of this text, and, and really starting to understand a little bit, I couldn't get past that phrase. We're talking about hypocrites, but then we're diving into this word, especially with King David, 
a man after God's own heart, and it says, you are the man. Now, it's not promoting him like, you're the man, you demand, right? It's not that. It's, you are the man. You are that man. And it's a very powerful statement that I hope gets all of our attention right here, right now. You see, the other day I was up here cleaning, and I was sweeping, and I was mopping, and taking out the trash. I know pastors do that sort of thing. But it hit me like you would not believe. You see, week after week, when those of us would come and listen, the hundreds that would show up in here, you know, we listen to the teaching. We sing the songs of worship. I think we should begin to look different, walk differently, and become cleaner in our walk. It just, it should fit naturally. Just as we're drawing near to him, like James 4, 8 says, as we draw near to him, we should start to look different, feel different. But it's, it's this week in and week out. I don't see people just starting to move radically towards him and, and changing a lifestyle. I just see more dirt. You see, the other day I, I, I was mopping this out and literally as I cleaned up the floor, it just, it was completely filthy. I'm like, what is going on, God? And I looked at this and I just, like, you gotta be kidding me. What's, that's nasty. <laughs> like, what's going on? I, mean, I, I, I thought we were on the right track, but as I stared in that water, I knew that something was off. You see, we like to point the finger a lot, but maybe we're the hypocrite. Maybe it's us. We track in dirt week in and week out. And maybe it's simply because we're not doing what it says. Maybe it's because we're so busy, we think. Maybe it's simply because we don't know the Father in the first place. Maybe it's because we say we know him, but our actions don't align with the truth. And no one has ever told you any different. It's just easy to come and participate than to fully surrender to the Father. You are that man. How do we dare point somebody else's hypocritical lifestyle out if we're the number one hypocrite? You see, I think it's this. Maybe the reason sometimes that we feel lifeless and we feel like somebody is sucking the life out of us because we have no life in us because we don't know the Father. We don't know who he is. We're running on us and you can't run on us anymore. If you're saying I gotta lean into Jesus and I do it on Sundays and I promote it and I even go vertical, but on Monday through Sunday or Saturday, I just put this on and make it look that way. It's really easy to click on a, a Bible app make the world look like I'm doing my study. But if you're not living it out, it doesn't make sense. You are the hypocrite. If that's true, why is there so much dirt in the water? If that's true, why is there so much dirt in the water? You are the man. As I stared into that dirty water, that filthy water, maybe the reason that people suck the life out of us is because it's us. And I share that because we should all know this verse that comes out of love in the right way with truth and grace. 
And it comes from Psalms 51, 10 through 12. It says, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Create in me. For all of us who have ears to hear, I pray this becomes your prayer this week. You see, even if I really started getting really vulnerable and asked my wife to come up here, it could get interesting. You never know. You know, for us, I think some of the most valuable things is to be completely transparent and honest with you because it allows us to understand we're normal people. And when we started dealing with this um, a couple weeks ago, we understood that maybe we were the hypocrites. And maybe it was, it was us that was creating tension in our own lives. Maybe it was us because we were being just sucked lifeless, and maybe it was us. And so what was crazy was God was working on her as he was working on me, and we sort of had a confession moment, and, and it was just crazy what came out of that moment. Love. And so I asked her to come up here today and just to share a little bit of what she was struggling with in the aspect of maybe a hypocritical lifestyle. And so maybe you can encourage you to, to, to come clean, to create in me a pure heart, oh God. And so, Sarah, tell me a little bit about what you told me this past week, but more importantly, how you encourage some other people in their walks as well. Well, I don't know how long ago this started. Um, lies and different things fall on us daily. And if we're not ready to fight against um, them, if we don't put our armor of God, sometimes we fall for those tricks and those lies. Um, for me, it's um, been a while, and I might cry because it still is fresh. Um, I have been focused on me, my frustrations, my failures, my work, my busyness, my, 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 my. We keep going on. And with that, um, it created this um, pattern in me that it was about me, that I had to fix it, that it was my issues. And um, no one would understand. You know what I'm saying? Like you kind of get in the isolated box. And it was all about me. <laughs> and then as time went on, God kept reminding me it wasn't about me. It was about him. And it was about others around me. And so we met as a group on um, Sunday nights, um, a marriage group. And God had been revealing that in me about um, it needs to be about we instead of me. In my marriage, it needs to be about we instead of about me. Because it was always, what are you going to do? And nothing ever felt good enough, right? You get to that place and nothing ever feels good enough. No one's doing it the way you need them to do it. Um, they're not filling your needs, your husband, your wife. That's, that's where I was. Um, and I was falling apart. I lost my hope in that process. I lost my joy in that process. I also lost just the whole idea of what God called us to do and be as the church. Um, and so as time went on, I just put that mask on and smiled. And, you know, everything's good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Um, and I would go on. But inside, I was just dying. It felt lifeless. 
it felt empty. And people would ask, well, what should I do about this? And honestly, at that time, I had no idea because there was nothing in me to come out. You know, the spirit wasn't speaking. I wasn't leaning on that. It was my own opinion, my own. So I would just say, I'm not sure. I'll see you later. Good luck. <laughs> and I'd run away <laughs> and hide. So I've been hiding for a while because I didn't want anybody to see what was really in there. Um, a struggle, a deep struggle of, struggle of my own opinions, my own desires. And it all came from that focus of me. And if I look outside in the world, that's the focus of the world. That's what is taught. I mean, you look on the TV, you know, Burger King, it's your way. It's, you know, everything is our way, right? And as quick and as fast as efficient as we like it. Everything comfortable. I got to that place that I liked being comfortable. I didn't want to be pushed and pruned. You know, when you look into the Bible and he talks about the vine, that he is the vine. And that when he prunes our branches, it's hard. But that's the only way we can grow. I didn't want to grow anymore. You know, I was kind of at that place. I'm like, I'm good. Thank you. I'm done. So now um, God is changing my heart and restoring us and restoring my relationships with people. And it's not a focus on me. There's times where it pulls and tugs. But um, I'm seeing that God's doing something immeasurable more in us together and waking us up from being hypocritical, coming up each day, telling people the things and, and not loving people the way that God asked us to love them. So, and one of the things that he revealed to us when we were doing this was uh, prayer. And I would tell people a lot, hey, you just need to pray about it, or I'm praying for you. Or, I, you know, it almost becomes that cop-out word that we sort of say real quickly, especially um, when we don't know what else to say. Um, and even I would say, hey, you know, we're, we're praying at home, or we're doing this, and we're taking time out to pray. And, and when we're actually, we weren't, you know, we got to that point, we were just comfortable saying a quick good night prayer, or a good, you know, a, a, just a, a quick feel-good prayer, but we were not praying and, and what happened was, is God revealed to me, hey, I need to be praying over my wife. I need to be praying for her in, 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 you know, in a way that just restored her, restored her. And what I noticed was, you know, I, I wasn't so much praying for my kids. They could fend for themselves. But, you know. It, I was doing that. But, <laughs> but I was really supposed to be praying for her in this season. And over the past week, what I've noticed is, like, she rejected it at first because it was, it was like, what's going on? Because we were just, I, I walked in the bathroom on Monday morning, and, and I prayed over her, and then I was ready to pray over her Monday night, and, and she was just, like, had a bad day, and, and then I prayed over again on Tuesday morning, and, and then, like, Tuesday night, she was just like, you could just see it all over. And then I grabbed her, and I held her in the bed, and I wouldn't let her go. And I looked at her, I said, oh, God, I'm just going to pray over you. And she just rejects, she goes, my, it's just whatever's in me. I just can't breathe and I can't feel, I can't love, I can't do nothing. The world is collapsing. She goes, I need to get on medicine. It's like, no. She's just saying all these weird things that doesn't really come out of her. So I just, in the name of Jesus, get out. And I held her for probably two hours and she snored. I do. I but it was, <laughs> it was awesome. I could feel her start to just to become peaceful. 
The next morning, she woke up with a pep in her step. And the next day, she had a beautiful day. She came home and she said, it's gone. Whatever it is, is gone. And the next day, we just started leaning in more to that idea, okay, we need to be praying over each other. And when we do that, we can be fully restored, just like Jesus wanted it in the first place, in a complete relationship with him. You see, sometimes even us as pastors, we get busy. And we forget. And we need to be reminded what a relationship really looks like is intimacy. Daily. Not just Sunday to Sunday. But it's a, it's a communal thing when, when we start to join our hearts together and it can move us from here to there. And I think then the water becomes a little bit cleaner. You can drop the mask and just be vulnerable and say, you know, today I'm just struggling instead of sliding it on and just acting like you got it all together. Because God doesn't want that. He wants the truth so he can set you free. And one last thing that um, he showed me, he said, you know, I kept trying to fill it up myself and trying to fix it myself. And he kept giving me, but seek his kingdom first and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So my peace that I was searching for, the things that I was searching for, he was going to give it to me. I just had to seek him first. I was trying on my own instead of just laying it all down and surrendering it. So um, I think that's our journey is just to keep seeking him first now. Yeah. And we don't do this just to boast. We just want to let you know that if we're not vulnerable, how do we expect to grow? And so I, we're going to sing a song here in a minute. And I just trust that my God in a way that, that I, we've been praying over you all week. We didn't know who's going to show up, but we were praying for something supernatural would get the credit for. And that's the Holy Spirit. And I know in here already there's people that need to pray. And you can do so quietly sitting at your seat, and that is perfectly fine. But sometimes he asks us to move from here to there and to take a stand and be bold and be different so he can begin to create in me a pure heart, oh God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. It starts with uttering that out. Create in me, oh Lord. May you begin to start to pray that way. It might even change what you look like. And I pray it starts to restore everything around you, your marriage, your relationship with your kids, your, your relationship at work, where you play, where you live. And then together we'll see these four words come true. Change lives. Do change lives. But it starts in me. So Jesus... I pray today that we have people who need this, who desperately need to create 
steadfast spirit by surrendering over to you. So I pray that they confess to create in them a pure heart with their spouses. May they be just renewed with a sense of joy, just like on their wedding day. May they feel that presence and the power that comes from that love that comes from you, Father, who granted that in the first place. Jesus, I pray that we drop the mask. We drop the mask. And we come to the altar in need of a Savior. And when we confront others, may we do it with grace and truth, which equals your love that sets them free. Jesus, that's my prayer. And I thank you for what you're about to do and what you're already doing in the hearts of many. In your holy, precious name, amen.